0: Hello, welcome back to another edition of Friends of the Vine, Wine Podcasts. I'm your host Ian Osborne, glad you made it back from the last few episodes. I hope that you found them as entertaining for, uh, for you to listen to as it was for me to uh, be part of. We've got another great guest lined up for you this week. It should be fun, should be entertaining, should be insightful. Uh, he's full of uh, a lot of great knowledge, and that's uh, that's what we're all about here, trying to bring some some knowledge and some lightness to the big topic of wine. So this week's guest is Sean Nelson. He is an advanced psalm who is the wine steward and in charge of all the wine operations at uh, Vija's Restaurant in downtown Vancouver. So we just sat down this week and had a good chat. This is the episode where Barbecue Sessions returns, so that'll be in the second half. With all those things in mind, let's just get right into this week's episode. Yeah, it's like looking—it's like looking at a doppelganger. <laughs> only, only you're the one with all the credentials, though. No, that's not true. You've got the <laughs> blog. I, I, do, I do, and I talk to, uh, I talk to people who are in the in the, in the industry who know a, a hell of a lot more than I do, so. It's learning by osmosis, right? That's exactly it. I, I, ask the, I ask the questions, and I get some answers, and then I, I learn a few things here and there. You just got back from France. So let's start there.
1: Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'd go back tomorrow if I could. No doubt, eh? Yeah. No, it was, yeah. Uh, it, was, it was outstanding. It was a trip of a lifetime. I get to spend time with all of my friends and uh, visit wine regions that I hadn't been to before and visit great producers, and we were treated to some outstanding hospitality, so...
0: That's wonderful. Yeah. It, I was there about five years ago, mostly Burgundy. Uh, okay. but yeah, it's just, it's just, and I mean, Provence as well, but, um, yeah, it's just an amazing area. Pretty, uh, pretty fortunate we are. Yeah, for sure. And and you were there with, uh, with a few of your, your good friends and yeah, your I families with, and stuff.
1: I was there with Alex's boss. Uh, who is my friend Alistair, who was our 2016 Sommelier of the Year. Uh, right. And I was there with my, my best buddy, Todd, who is one of the one of my competitors in the SOM competition this year. And then their partners and the kids. And we met up with some other friends who live in France and Germany while we were over there. and
0: That's cool. Uh, yeah. And congrats on that. I guess it was some pretty stiff competition, like you said, Todd. Todd was I yeah. think you said third third or runner up or
1: yeah well there's was three competitors and then uh, top 3 so yeah so it was it was Todd Prusick from Hawksworth who is my buddy and then Matthew Landry from Stablehouse and Fiore who is in our tasting group our study group uh, and then myself nice and both of them were runners up last year as well when uh, when Shane won so i guess Alistair would be Alex's former boss now eh yeah, I guess so. She's not at tap anymore.
0: No, she's moving,
1: moving up, upwards and onwards. I guess. Yeah. 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 We all have to do that eventually. At some point, it's it's the nature of the business. You don't grow and, unless we allow ourselves to. Yeah, and
0: that's the that learning curve, right? Like she, she obviously wants to get herself to that highest level and to continue yeah. to 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 continue to uh, learn along the way, right?
1: Yeah, and she's she's great. She's awesome. I've had a chance to like do some tastings with her and I mean i have been in the restaurant when she's been working too she's a fantastic professional
0: yeah she's she's pretty cool we had a we had a great chat uh, on on our, my last podcast she's she was a lot of fun great enthusiasm as as i i was i was saying her yep. like her enthusiasm for wine is is very infectious you know all the best people are yeah exactly you're mostly at Viges now aren't you
1: yeah. yeah yeah so i've been here for a little over 4 years I do some volunteer work in uh, Seattle and in California I do some kind of on my own personal consulting for events and special functions and people who want to do tastings and stuff like that so cool
0: so a little bit of freelance here and there that's a good way to kind of expand your yeah, exactly. your own repertoire right so you've got your advance right now and you're going for your master's
1: yeah that's right and is there a is there a timeline in place for I mean, yes, but it's all dependent on the applications to the court and the wait list and everything. I mean, I, I plan to submit my application for master's in November, which would put me on track. If I get an approved date, it'll be next year. So it'll be like July 2019.
0: So basically thinking a year in advance almost.
1: Yeah, well, you, you have to. I mean, because they, they start doing applications in November for the next year, and then there's one date for Theory. If you pass the theory, then you get to go on to do the practical and the tasting exam, which is like in September.
0: It'll be more nerve-wracking down the road, but I mean, you're obviously <laughs> starting to—it's starting to feel a little real. I, w- I would assume, right?
1: Uh, yeah. Oh no, it's—it started feeling real when I passed my advanced. It was like, oh, okay, now I only have one more stage, but it just happens to be the hardest stage you've ever heard of.
0: That's the thing, right? Like you—you can only prepare yourself so much, and then knowing what big hurdles is to come, right?
1: Luckily, we have a a solid group uh, of us that are all going after the same goal, the same timeline. So it's really helpful to have that uh, support and that kind of co-mentorship of of people working together. I'm assuming
0: that you have a few different influences that kind of shaped your development through the years. Obviously, you've got some really good mentors and really good, like you said, uh, colleagues in the business, right?
1: I mean, yes. I mean, we all start somewhere, right? I mean, I started hospitality when I was 16. And then you have bosses and mentors throughout uh, throughout your career who push you to do bigger and better things. So, I mean, I worked at the Keg for a number of years. And then I worked for a fine dining company, we had two restaurants in White Rock and one in Port Moody for a number of years. And then I moved to Australia and I had people that I met there who I got to learn a lot from. And now being at Vidge's, I have Mike, who's uh, given me the opportunity to run this program and kind of make it my own. And then in my tasting group, Robert Stelmachuk, who is another advanced who's been working on getting his master's over the last couple of years, who currently does the wine programs at uh, Trump Hotel. He does Mott 32 and the Champagne Lounge. He's run some of the best wine programs in Vancouver, Shambar, and Le Crocodile, and uh, the Shangri-La. So he's uh, he's been a, a uh, an inspiration to me since I since I started down the road towards the masters. It's funny because I started doing my intro and he was doing his masters, and now I'm doing my masters at the same time. Just it shows you the the length of time needed to commit in order to get that last pin. Yeah, exactly.
0: It is a it is a life a lifelong pursuit, shall we say? Right? Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's what I find with. Just going back to Alex for a second, I find that so interesting for for someone so young like that to. I've already gotten her trajectory to be so, yeah. you know, so spectacular and
1: to, and to know what she wants at such a young age. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it's it's great. I mean, I know some people that haven't gotten into wine until much later in life, and I know people that have started out basically even before they were legally allowed to drink. There's some there's some advanced and masters in the U.S. that are like 26, and I'm you know, yeah. like. It's like I don't even know what I was doing at 26. Probably wasn't drinking good wine. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or yeah, or
0: studying. Or, or yeah, exactly. Yeah. Was Was it for you? Was it a gradual appreciation, or was there, there um, was there an epiphany
1: moment? There was there was a couple. I mean, over the years, but it it started gradual, and then it it's it's like a curve and goes like like this. So I remember one day when I was working at the the fine dining restaurant in White Rock, the uh, owner was walking through the restaurant and noticed that there was a bottle of 83 Leonetti Merlot in the cellar that was leaking out the capsule. So he, he pulled it out of the cellar and he checked the bottle and he's like, no, it's leaking. Can't sell it. We got to open it. Got to drink it. So we took it back into the office and the wine director and the owner and myself all drank this 83 Merlot from Leonetti. And I was just like, I not know wine could taste like this. This is yeah. something... Outstanding. I've never seen or had anything that displayed this level of depth and complexity. And from there, I was like, okay, now I want to know more. So I started looking into it. Actually, I uh, shortly after that, this was in like 2008, uh, right. I put myself on the, uh, on the waiting list for an allocation at Leonetti. And I, I just got uh, an acceptance email for the allocation last year.
0: Oh, that's funny.
1: Like nine years later, I finally, they're like, yeah, we'll let you buy some wine. I'm like, oh, great!
0: That's hilarious. When I when I was interviewing with Brian he, uh, McClintic, he was saying, for him, it was like gradual appreciation with small epiphanies along the way. You know, yep, that's, and that's that sounds like you're very similar in that that's sense.
1: Exactly the same. Actually, Brian and I are very similar. We've we've hung out a couple of times, and we both we both grew up in like sports families with like high intensity brothers, siblings who were like competitive and goals towards like high-level competition whether that's baseball or I mean I did baseball and then later I was I trying to I was working on being a, an actor as well but I think that nature of competitiveness really ties in very well to the people who find themselves in this program the people who want to push themselves just a little bit harder than everyone else
0: yeah it's definitely something where you need a you need that competitive drive right you need that you need that Competitive spirit, where because there are so many people that are interested, so many people that are trying to make it, that you really need to kind of, uh, like you said, push yourself and have that competitive edge. I was just thinking about about the restaurant you're at, finding uh, wine pairings for for so many spicy, there's so many spicy dishes, right? And yeah, uh, it must be uh, it must be something where you always have people kind of asking you to to find stuff for you.
1: For sure. Or, or um, sorry, find
0: stuff for them. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: I mean, and yes, obviously people have far fewer preconceived ideas about what should go with their food. And many of the ones that they do have are, are based on incorrect information. It's like people, people ask all the time, it's like, oh, what, what wine pairs with Indian food? It's, it's kind of like asking what wine pairs with European food. 'Cause you're going from very rich creamy dishes uh, in Punjab to very light fruit and, and vegetables and fish dishes uh, when you go down into into Goa and to Sri Lanka. And there's such a range of styles, uh, flavors, combinations well, of spices.
0: And even like all the like a Vindaloo or something, like all the meaty type yep. lamb lamb exactly. stuff, right?
1: Yep. It plays a lot uh, the combination of spices and how things are added and, and how things combine. I mean, it's very different pairing wine with Thai curry than it is with some Indian curries. Just the, the way that the spices express themselves are different. Mm. The chilies are different. Our food is not overall that spicy. Our focus is not on heat. It's on depth and complexity. Right. And it's about layering spices. And when people talk about wine, they often talk about layers of complexity, layers of depth. And then you have uh, like wine that transitions from, from one thing to another as the as the palate goes on and it finishes with something completely different. And that's the same with spices, the same with cooking Indian food. It's, it's all about how the wine and the food interact in that way. So there's a lot more that works with Indian food than there isn't, that, that doesn't work. The things to kind of watch are the yes. balance of alcohol and tannin. If you have wines that Uh, have spikes where the alcohol stands out a little bit more than you think it should or that the tannin tends to linger beyond the fruit or the other layers, then you can run into issues with pairing some spicier dishes. But we also have stuff that's a little milder, like you can throw like a big bowl Napa Cabernet at our short ribs because it's it's really like just spiced and braised short ribs done with a jus with tomato and mustard seed and fennel and grilled kale. And those flavors all work really well with like a big robust red from a warm climate and so we have that available for people who want it and then we also have everything from champagne aligote german riesling austrian riesling tempranillo from spain you have napa cab we have chateauneuf we have nebbiolo so Mm. our clientele is very diverse and so our wine list matches that yeah
0: i was gonna say nebbiolos and pinots and stuff i think that would Probably that suits a lot, so many things, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Nebbiolo is a great food wine just because of the acid. And uh, yes, there can be tannin, but the tannins are often uh, so well integrated with the the fruit and the spice and the and the acid that you don't notice it so much.
0: No, that's a good point. That actually kind of leads me into asking you about what's what's in your cellar. What what's the <laughs> stuff that you have have kicking around?
1: I have I have as diverse a wine cellar as the restaurant has a wine list. I'm still fairly young so I I don't collect like whole cases of things I'll get like a bottle of this a bottle of that and I don't have a huge seller I've got like a couple hundred bottles tucked yeah. away I don't really have the space for anything bigger because like, I live in a condo if I find something that I like I'll buy like three four bottles and I' right. will drink them over the course of like five or six years and then I'll find something else or I'll try a different vintage or I'll... so I've got I've got a very broad range of things. Yeah, myself.
0: we live in a townhome, so we've converted. We converted a quarter of our garage into a wine cellar. So right, it's uh, uh, you're like yeah. Oh, being in the condo is like I know what you mean about short space well, I, or whatever. Yeah,
1: I bought a Eurocav because I was like I'm tired of having my wine like tucked into a closet in the basement. So I, I have like a, a nice storage facility. Nice. There's a couple of good uh, like offsite storage facilities in Vancouver, but it's it's not cheap. Mostly old world, mostly new world, uh, Okanagan. What's no, your... I, I don't have a whole lot of Okanagan just because I drink it so frequently for work. I don't collect it a lot, Few things uh, that are tucked away that I just I think might be interesting to try in five or six years. I'm just curious about longevity more than I am about anything. Right. I, I try the wines a lot, so I don't have them. I collect a lot of wines when I'm traveling. If I get an opportunity to find something if I find something I can't get at home, then I'll, I'll buy some bottles. Like I just brought back, like nine bottles from Europe in my suitcase. Nice. But yeah, I, I do have a pretty good mix. I don't, I don't feel like I lean one direction, old or new world. Because I mean, there's old world style producers in the new world. There's new world style producers in the old world. The line is getting blurrier and blurrier uh, every, sure. every year. I, li- I just, I collect things that I like.
0: What did, what did you bring back from uh, France?
1: I brought back some champagne. I brought back a, a bottle of Claude Aguasse, uh, some Ulysse Colin, and Frederick Savart. I brought back a bottle of Raveneau, because we just can't get it here. I got some Marc Colleen, who is the father of Pierre Yves Colin Moret. The, the siblings of PYCM had, took over the family domain after he split off. And did his own thing. So I figured they're coming from very similar uh, backgrounds. It might be interesting to try something. And then I bought some little tiny producer in Maurice Saint Denis called. Uh, I can't remember right now. What was one of my most interesting
0: moments in France was just look, there's so many little small producers and. Yeah. There's so many little tucked away gems, you know what I mean?
1: I think the, the coolest little like unknown that I picked up was actually I was in. I was in Germany for two nights just visiting some friends there and we went out to a bar in in Baden and the owner of the re, of the hotel bar was sitting like next to us at the bar and he heard us talking to the bartender about flavors and, and like what we liked in cocktails. He's like, oh, you seem like you guys know what you're talking about. Do you want to come down and see the cellar? So he took us down into the cellar of the hotel and he had a whole bunch of, of cool stuff down there and we started talking about German Pinot Noir. He's like... Yeah, here, take this bottle with you, and he gave me a bottle of this uh, German Pinot Noir that I will not probably never see again. So I nice. have a bottle of, uh, of Pinot Noir from Baden that I, uh, I'll drink with some other wine geek friends of mine, and we can be all nerdy about <laughs> Pinot Noir yeah. that we're never going to see again. Yeah, exactly. That's like it's like when you get something like that,
0: you want to you want to share it with the people that you care oh, about yeah. and that it will really appreciate it. And yeah, yeah, that's. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Drinking wine on your own is uh, is something you may need to look at when you're sharing it with everybody else. You can yeah. kind of write it off. It's like, oh no, this is good. Everybody's everybody's enjoying themselves.
0: But then when you when we get you know four ounces, and then yeah. you're like,
1: actually, I need, I want more. Oh, it's all gone. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's
1: yes. Uh, you you pick your uh, pick your cohorts carefully.
0: Yeah, exactly. Make sure you get your 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 glass poured first before. Uh, yeah. You know, at least you get a taste of it,
1: or or last depending on how much you like them.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the thing, and that's that's the thing about like you said, sharing experiences and sharing, you know, sharing good stuff because then you want to see their reaction. Almost more, it's like giving someone a present, and and yeah. because you want to see their reaction to it, yep, right? For sure. And you were saying that you, I think you pretty much hit everywhere in. in France, it seemed like you were in Burgundy, Uh, you were in Bordeaux. uh,
1: We didn't make it into the Rhône and not to the Loire. I've been to the Loire before, back in 2011, and I was in Provence, not the vineyards, but in in the area of Provence in 2011 as well. So I think I've I've covered most of the major regions except for the Rhône. Take a whole week or more just to do the Rhône itself because there's so much that I want to see. It's probably one of my favorite regions in France and I haven't been there.
0: Yeah, and that's and that would like you said that should be its own separate oh, yeah. special trip, right? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Hey, listen, uh, I appreciate the time and I appreciate of the the insights and the knowledge, so uh sure. will I'll have to make my way out to come see you in person out at your restaurant.
1: Absolutely, we'd love that. That'd uh, be great. I'll uh, I look forward to talking more with you in the future.
0: So that was Sean Nelson who is a advanced psalm who works at Vigia's restaurant he's the wine steward and head of the wine operations at viges it's amazing one of the things i i found in that interview was he knows Brian McClintock he knows Alex Anderson it seems like a lot of uh, a lot of people in the wine industry they they all know each other quite well and they're all uh, trying to help each other succeed and there there's there is that level of competition but at the end of the day uh, you have to help each other and and that's what uh comes out in that interview is especially with his tasting groups and trying to give each other a hand and and uh, trying to make each other better so that was a lot of fun chatting with sean there up next is the barbecue sessions and once again daryl and i are chatting by the barbecue he was just in france uh sorry not in france he was in austria skiing we're having a conversation about the types of wines that he drank while he was there what he brought home what he was able to uh to see and and enjoy while he was there tell me about some of the uh, the, the wines you got in austria when some you were out there we skiing some of the ones we drank some, or some of the ones you drank those. well i mean you got that you brought back that brunello the brunello
2: yeah was uh, a two for one uh 30 euros um, which was a good find in a bin in the spot local spa in <laughs> Ischgl. <laughs> the Local uh, convenience store. Yeah. So that was a good buy. So I bought those. But at dinner, the uh, both Ischgl and Saint Anton, where we stayed, had quite extensive wine lists. Right. In Saint Anton, they paired the um, wines with the dinner. Right. So forty, forty for you, for you, for us. Uh, in Ischgl, we were able to choose. And um, but by and large, we tried to stay with. The Austrian Reds and Whites and, and, which are not common here yeah. because they just don't export a lot. there. There's probably smaller uh, small producers and small producers yeah. but uh, uh, the Whites were Rieslings but they were nice and dry. They weren't sweet Rieslings yeah. that you'd find in some areas of Germany but uh, the Austrian Rieslings were very dry and they are very crisp and light, a little mineral uh, not really a lot of fruit like we would get here from the Okanagan, right? But uh, were delightful wines, and the reds we had Austrian reds, which were lovely, light, and uh, then we sprinkled a few Italian mm. reds in there depending on the meal, that sort of stuff. So it was really good.
0: Nice. And then was it which one was it with the crazy wine cellar? The uh...
2: oh, it was in Steuben. In, that's in Austria as well. In right? Austria. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was just... Um, what did we say it was 6
0: million euros worth of wine in that cellar. Something like that, yeah, yeah.
2: a huge amount of wine. And uh, in a bank vault, behind a bank vault door, actually, in the basement of the hillside restaurant, where we had uh, delightful ribs <coughs> and chips, the uh, real favorite yeah. there. It was excellent. The, the slide from the main floor down to the washroom was in the second floor, you had to use. Yeah. Especially with your ski boots on, so that was perfect. And uh, didn't get to see the the wine cellar, but there's pictures online of it, which are incredible. The ceiling is, Yeah. they have all these huge wine bottles in the ceiling space I'm, up there. I'm assuming they have a few sommeliers and stuff working there. I would imagine so. We were there for lunch, and it was only like eleven thirty, twelve o'clock. So right. we didn't have, we didn't even drink because we were still skiing. Yeah. But, uh And which is interesting. Uh, you see, a lot of the Europeans they'll have two or two or three beer at lunch, and then they'll continue to ski after that. And I cannot do that, and none of the people we were with um, professed to yeah. not be wanting to do that. Which Good because uh, yeah, I don't know how you can do that. What's well, so the thing? Get those afternoon beers in you, and then yeah, there's you're a not <coughs> ski there's up. a restaurant in Saint Restaurant in Saint Anton at the, near the bottom of the hill called the Crazy Kangaroo or the Kangaroo, and it's infamous for um, sort of wild après ski. And uh, but you have to ski down to the bottom of the hill after that. <laughs> and usually it's the, the bottom of the ski hill is kind of wet and cruddy and cut up. And uh, I, I just can't envision yeah. skiing down to the bottom of the hill after having mm-hmm. numerous
0: beers up the Crazy Kangaroo. Yeah. But a lot of people do it. Well, and I, was, I was telling you about that Instagram story of, um, of Brian McClintock, the song mm-hmm. with that. That uh, I forgot the name of that, that rat track or whatever that totem to that hill. Then he took he went down to that restaurant
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it's just like in the side of the mountain somewhere. And they were having like lamb and stuff, and they had the the little burners going. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. then you just ski down from there. You just continue, so you have your lunch there, mm-hmm. and you just ski down from there mm-hmm. uh, down the hill. That's the cool thing about a lot of those ski hills like that, where like you said, yours is there's almost eighty different lifts. Going all over the mountain. Uh, yeah,
2: you, in St. Anton, you can ski in and out of half a dozen different towns yeah. uh, that are all interconnected. And like I say, in Ischgl, you ski. You can ski in two different locations at least that we went to. You ski from uh, Austria down into Switzerland. It's quite a little interesting. But there's a lot of ski hills throughout Europe that you're, you know you're in France and you ski over a hill and you all of a sudden you're in Italy.
0: Yeah, so. it's all the same. It's all the same mountain, mountain region, or mountain exactly. mountain, mountain
2: like The Alps, the Pyrenees, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah.
0: Like have you switched to the uh,
2: Merlot already? I have. Started a little Merlot, so at your leisure, you can
0: do this. I'll switch from the white. That was that local one, right?
2: Yeah. Uh, the, the Merlot is the burrowing Oh yeah. There's always a fan favorite. Always a fan favorite. Can't go wrong
0: with
2: curling No. I'm going to turn these once, and then we'll be
0: done. Well, I'll tell you that editing that last piece, the barbecue sessions, definitely has made me hungry, that's for sure. Listening to uh, Daryl and I barbecuing up some lamb Drinking some Merlot. It's uh, certainly made me hungry. I think we'll leave it there for this week. I'm chasing a few different uh, people for the next episode. I'm hoping to try and get Anthony Gismondi from the Vancouver Sun Wine Critic as my next possible interview. The other possible interview I might be getting is the general manager from Township 7, Jason Oceanis, because we're attending an event down at Township 7 in Langley in a few weeks. So hopefully I'll get a chance to speak to him while I'm there and try and get a a podcast set up with him. For now, take care and have a glass for me.